Your financial choices may discuss various financial-related topics and thus would like to offer the following disclosures. Lori Siebert is employed by Valley National Group, the Valley National Financial Advisors Group of Companies. Investments are offered through Valley National Investments Incorporated, member FINRA. We inform you that any federal tax, state tax, financial advice, or information contained in this communication is not intended to be personalized or specific in nature or to be relied upon for your personal situation in any circumstance. The advice and information are not intended and cannot be used as a tax opinion letter nor used for the purpose of avoiding tax-related penalties. For personalized advice specific to your own situation, we recommend that you consult your CPA, CFP, or attorney. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. I am a CPA, CFP professional, and AEP on the web at yourfinancialchoices.com, and you can listen online each and every week at wdiy.org and also on the WDIY app. Today is November 29th, 2023. The markets were mixed today with the Dow closing up at 35,430, the NASDAQ slightly down at 14,258, and the S&P down at 4,550. Our topic this evening is financial considerations for blended families. We are live tonight. We'll take your questions. Greg is in the studio with us this evening. We'll answer your calls, take your information, and we ask you to mute your radio so you can hear me without the delay and we can talk without confusion. We discuss general financial planning topics and not specific investments. And while I typically have a topic each week, you can still ask questions off topic and I will do my best to answer. The number is 610-758-8810. And email is also available through yourfinancialchoices.com. I will email you back. If you prefer not to speak live on air, you can give your question to Greg and he'll write it down and bring it into the studio and I'll do my best to answer. Again, tonight's topic, financial considerations for blended families. And this show tonight really is almost going to be more of a conversation about things you need to consider and think about, and I can't stress enough the importance of this topic. Um, I have seen the gamut of situations when we've had blended families, um, situations that have gone very well and situations that have not gone so well. And I think that open communication is of the greatest importance in, in these situations. And being in front of it, as I say at the end of every show, be proactive, not reactive, because when we're proactive and we're on the front of these decisions, it does give us um, so many more options. So speaking of like financial considerations for blended families, then what might be considered a blended family? Um, I think traditionally people think it might mean partners coming together with children from prior marriages. We we hear that. In fact, I heard this term, I think, probably 20 some years ago when I met a a woman who said we have a blended family. It was the first time I had ever heard it. I think it's applicable. It does apply. Um, So we typically think when it's like the Brady Bunch, people are bringing their kids from each of their prior relationships together. um, And they're blending their families. But it really goes beyond just that. There are other situations that would still be considered a blended family. Um, For example, my sister was single, uh, not married prior, did not have children, and she married a man who had children. So she's not blending 
her family, so to speak, like any children that she had. But she is still stepping into what I would consider a blended family. And I'll, I'll talk about some implications of that. Um, and even with that, when you're marrying into uh, marrying someone who has children, they could be minor children or they could be adult children. And those could be very different circumstances. The traditional aspect of blended families, we might think, as I mentioned, was each partner comes in with their own children from prior relationships and they marry. So they're blending, you know, their their families, but may not have children together. They might be, it might be later in life that they've come together. And then, of course, there's those situations where you may come in to a relationship and one partner might have a child and the other doesn't, but then you have a child together or you each come in with children from prior relationships and then still have uh, children together. So the woman I had mentioned that, you know, what did I say 20 years ago had said about a blended family, she had had a child, he had had children, and then they had children together. So that that's really quite the blend. Um, and it, it really can go beyond that as well. It, when, when you kind of visualize this as I'm talking about it, we're on radio and you can't see what I'm doing. But if you visualize kind of layers to this, that there could be layers to blended families. Um, so you could have um, uh, the, the traditional level that I kind of just was talking about where it's kind of happening to you. But your parents may be impacted by your decisions in a blended family. And of course, your children and planning for your children or planning for your partner's children or planning for those joint children, that's the third layer, they could also be impacted by this blended family. So it's not just the first layer that we're talking about when we think of a blended family, we also have to think of the planning beyond that. Um, how does it go up and how does it go down um, when we're thinking about parents and thinking about children? And why even would I maybe mention that? Well, uh, your parent, let's say you've married, married and you're now in a blended family, your parents may feel differently about their own estate planning and how it might impact um, their children. So if I'm, uh, let, let's say I'm the grandparent and my child gets married to someone with children and I have, let's say it's a son, my son gets married to someone who has children and I also have a daughter who has, you know, children. So my son has stepchildren and my daughter has natural born children might that impact my planning that I might do for my kids? If uh, Am I still going to give to my son uh, the same amount as my daughter, make it even? When What if my son, who's maybe married to a divorced person, um, what if they get divorced again? So there's all kinds of layers and implications to the planning. And I think that we have to kind of understand it from our own perspective, but also understand how um, that perspective may change for parents and how that perspective may change when we're uh, providing for our children as well. So we, we want to keep that in mind. So why is it really important to reflect on this? And it's because it can have significant 
significant impacts on the elements of your financial planning. Regular listeners know when I talk about financial planning, we talk about the elements of financial planning, which are typically the simple in simple form, cash flow, taxes, investments, retirement planning, risk management, which is insurance, and estate planning. So the six elements of the financial planning, the reason we need to reflect on this and think about it is because when we're going into a blended family um, situation, there are impacts in our decisions on all of those elements of our financial planning. Um, and I think we, we need to be proactive. We really need to bring in Um, First of all, we need to be good about communicating with our future partner. Uh, We have to be good about communicating with our other family members, if that might be warranted. We need to bring in our financial advisors, our attorneys, our insurance agents, and make sure that we have thought through all the threads, followed the threads of our decision making and how it may impact us. And as I go through the show, I am going to talk about those different uh, elements and how they can be impacted. I definitely want to uh, cover the estate planning piece first. And I'll do that, you know, when I come back from this first break, because I think that is an area that needs the utmost importance because if we die tomorrow, we want to make sure that we set in motion a a plan that's going to kind of take care of everybody. And some of the other things will kind of just happen naturally, but we can never predict when we're going to die. So um, I I think the estate planning is of utmost importance. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. WDIY members have exclusive access to our weekly member ticket giveaway. That's a new drawing every week for the best events the Lehigh Valley has to offer concerts, festivals, film screenings, theater performances, and more. Last year, WDIY gave away over 2,000 tickets to our members. So don't miss your chance. Become a WDIY member today. Call 610-694-8100, extension 4, or visit WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1, also available on the WDIY app. And of course, on many streaming services as well, just by searching for Your Financial Choices. Um, We are talking about financial considerations for blended families tonight and briefly discussed how there could be a number of Um, evolutions of that, of of blended family and what that might mean. A single partner coming into a a family that already has children. It could be two partners coming in with children from prior relationships. It could be um, then having prior children and then children together. And of course, not to forget that those blended families could also be impacted on, on various 
levels and layers. And also, we may not think about a blended family as, you know, our, we hear about gray divorce. Um, there's also gray marriages. So people who are getting married, uh, maybe um, after a widow or, you know, a spouse has died and they're a widow and they meet someone else who's lost a spouse and they come together. We might not think of that traditionally as a blended family, but that also uh, could occur and that could be later in life. And there's different implications to that as well. That is also a blended family and could also have the same kind of considerations and and forethought uh, necessary, just as you would need when you're, you know, younger and joining um you know, forces with, with someone else with minor children. So this could be someone, I have a friend who's, you know, 60 and is in a relationship and may have a second marriage. They're both um, widowed and it's a wonderful thing, but there are implications or could be implications then to their own uh, planning. Again, relating to the financial elements and or estate planning in particular. So I think it's really important to have conversations with um, your partner as to what you expect your situation to look like uh, prior to embarking on legal matrimony or joining assets. Really have conversations about what the expectations are so that you can mitigate confusion and hurt feelings later. I'm all about communication in in this respect. It can also provide flexibility and options. And then of course, expectations. So you want to clarify the assumptions that might be made. You might have one spouse who's who's never worked and uh, the others, you know, and maybe is coming into the relationship with limited resources and the other spouse who's always worked, who has you know, more than enough resources? What are the expectations there? If the spouse with um, significant resources uh, were to pass away uh, and leaving their spouse, what, what happens? And if they have children, are they going to basically leave nothing to that surviving spouse and leave everything to their children? You may make that assumption. It may not be an accurate assumption. And you... Sometimes people think that everything goes to a spouse and that's not the case either. So you really can't make assumptions. You need to think this all through, make sure that you're having conversations. What kind of conversations might that include? Well, if you're going into, you know, into this, uh, you know, joint venture with matrimony in mind, then it may require uh, what's called a prenuptial agreement. Um, and there's also something called a postnup. If you've already, you know, married, and now you're kind of hearing this and realizing that there could be some little hiccups along the way, a postnup may be um, appropriate as well. This is where you really need an attorney to review your situation and your assets and asset titling and resources, etc. I'll talk a little bit later about something called the elective share. So there's so many different assumptions that people have, uh, and it's it's never safe to kind of go on assumptions. Uh, and that is sometimes people think the spouse gets everything, and that is not the case. Um, and sometimes people think, oh, um, you know, I can impoverish my spouse. That's not the case either. And it depends on what state you live in. 
we have community property states across the country, and then there's um, other states that are not community property. It's like equitable distribution if there was a divorce. And, and, and for estates where one spouse might have intentionally tried to impoverish um, a surviving spouse may not work. Pennsylvania, for example, does have, and I'm not an attorney, uh, but Pennsylvania does have a provision that a spouse who seems to have been deemed impoverished, meaning not named in the will or some little minor provision in the will, a spouse does have an option called an elective share where they may be able to elect against the will to um, elect a one-third share of that will uh, if their share would otherwise be lower than that. And you would be surprised what that elective share option could apply to. You want to make sure that you're working with an attorney who understands all of that. And meaning if you think you're going to protect those assets by putting them all in a trust, depending on how that trust is written and how, you know, what are the provisions of that trust, the um, surviving spouse, if you otherwise would have kind of cut them out of everything, may have an elective share against that trust as well, as I understand it. Again, this is all information that you would have to work with an attorney and clarify with an attorney. Um, I'm not giving any legal opinions here. I'm just raising awareness that you cannot always go on the uh, assumptions or, you know, what you've heard from friends or neighbors. You have to make sure that the circumstances that you're in are adequately um, understood and uh, thought through and provided to the attorney so that you can make the best decision. So conversations, do you get a prenuptial agreement? May or may not, you know, uh, be appropriate, but that prenup might save you in the event if you're having a conversation with this person and you both come into the relationship with adequate adequate resources, you both can you know live on your own to completely fine, but you just you know love each other so much and you just got to get married. Um, if you have separate resources and you've agreed, hey, mine is mine and yours is yours, and mine is going to be my kids and yours is going to be your kids, that's fine. But with certain states, as I mentioned, if there's a selective share, then unless you have a prenup, they may still be able to um, work around uh, what you thought your intentions were, whereas the prenup would say, hey, we're not going to go after each other's money. We're not going to take an elective share. I believe that's, you know, one of the features that you can put in a prenup. Um, Postnup, I haven't really seen as much. So, um, I, I'm not sure if there can be that agreement at that point or not, but that is something to go uh, over with an attorney. So that's kind of a conversation to have. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit later in the show about conversations about cash flow implications. How are you dividing expenses? Who's paying for what? Um, income taxes. How are you you know, allocating those, if that would be applicable, uh, retirement planning, risk protection. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show, because I think that's really important and relevant. And, but that also all impacts the decisions and, and how um, the estate that you're eventually going to pass on to heirs, um, those decisions are kind of going to impact that estate, right? So if you're making, if one spouse is paying all the bills and the other one doesn't pay any of the bills, well, the one who's not paying any of the bills 
their estate's going to not be uh, chipped away as much. So if I'm the person paying all the bills, then we're going to blow through my estate a little bit faster and I may not be able to leave as much to my heirs or my children. So you want to kind of think about those two. But more importantly, I want to talk about um, kind of the estate planning around this and give you a few more examples. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. And you can talk live on air with me. Or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Greg and he'll bring it in to me. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including income tax preparation for individuals, businesses, estates, and trusts. Tax preparation involves more than putting numbers on a return. It requires planning. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. WDIY presents a selection of award-winning public affairs programs weeknights from 6 to 7 p.m. Listen to important conversations regarding art, science, politics, and more here in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Check our website for new topics and archive programs. WDIY Public Affairs on 88.1 FM, streaming at WDIY.org, on the app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with me, or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Greg. He'll write it down and bring it in to me. Questions can also be submitted through the website at yourfinancialchoices.com. So we are talking about financial considerations for blended families. We've talked about making sure that you have these conversations, understanding the impacts. And, you know, I do like getting into the weeds of things. I love details. Uh, I know details can sometimes overwhelm people, but I think getting into the details in these particular situations is very important because it just kind of frees you. It, it, it frees your mind and your uh, stress budget from um, dealing with it ahead of time rather than later. It's so much easier to have these conversations ahead of time. And if you're not comfortable having these conversations or initiating these conversations with this potential partner, you can find ways to do that. You know, pop this show in, listen to the pre-recorded show and say, oh, that's really interesting. Maybe that's something we should talk about. Or you tell your financial advisor, I don't know how to approach this subject. Can we come in and meet with you? And you kind of run through scenarios with us. Or you say, let's go meet with the attorney and talk about things that we should um, think about ahead of time. So let a professional uh, broach the subject if you're not comfortable doing it, um, because it, it can impact both sides. You know, you, you, uh, I'll give an example here. Um, for example, my sister said, oh, well, you know, all my assets are going to go to the, the family. Well, I had to tell my sister, well, no, not necessarily if you've named your husband, which she totally can. I have no problem with that. But she said, oh, yeah, everything's going to go to the siblings because she doesn't have children. And um, so I said, well, it doesn't really work like that. If you name your husband as the primary beneficiary on everything and you name him in your will as the primary beneficiary, if if because he survives you and he now has access to all your assets, now he has control of those and he can decide what happens to them next. It's no longer through your will. It's no longer, you know, going to those siblings you thought you named. 
And she had to understand that and and she could be totally okay with that. And the siblings, believe me, would be totally okay with that if everything went to the husband. But it's just in her mind, her assumption was things were going to go to the siblings because she didn't have children. Now, the same thing applies to him. He has two children from a prior uh, marriage. And if he names my sister as primary on everything and something happens to him, and now my sister has control of everything, um, it may or may not go to his children. And that may not be the deal. That might not have been the deal. You could have talked about it and said, oh, yeah, of course, of course, or whatever I don't use will go to the boys. But you can't predict what's going to happen. If, and I've heard these stories, and I'm going to get off my sister as an example now, but I've heard these stories where the surviving spouse says, oh, yes, I'll make sure I give everything to your kids or their share. And then they get upset with the kids and they don't hear from the kids or they don't talk with the kids. And pretty soon those kids from the deceased spouse are just kind of forgotten. And then the surviving spouse can change everything to her her own. Um, you know, it is what it is. I and It's not for me to say what's right or for what's wrong. I'm just saying if that's not what you jointly, um, if that's not the uh, the amount of power you want to give the surviving spouse, then you need to do other kinds of planning. And and by the way, typically when I talked about that elective share, if if you have retirement accounts with named beneficiaries, that would not necessarily be, I don't believe that, subject to the elective share rule. So you have to know when it's going to apply and when it doesn't, and to what assets as well. Um, and again, which state you live in as to how that might or might not apply. Uh, So when we talk about these situations, we really have to think through, in my example, where you have maybe a, a single, a prior single spouse who's marrying someone with children, they still may want to um, have their assets or some portion of their assets go to their siblings or to their nieces or to their nephews. So that would be a different kind of planning. So you really want to think about um, the, the situation of this blended family. So single, no children potential. Do they have independent means? Um, meaning, uh, it, is that single spouse who came into this marriage with the kids, do would they be able to survive if you wanted to give everything to your kids? I've seen circumstances where uh, it's a second marriage and the deceased, there's a deceased spouse who owns the home and the surviving spouse, you know, maybe they were only married a handful of years, um, was never put joint on the home and the estate goes to the children. Well, that surviving spouse could get kicked out of the house if you didn't plan things right. And is that really what you would have intended? We've seen people get kicked out of the home because the children never liked the second wife or the husband or whatever it might be, not picking, um, you know, genders here. So the surviving spouse may get kicked out. Is that really what you would have wanted? So you want to review independent means, Do they have other family members? Meaning if I'm the one, if I'm the spouse with kids and the one I married uh, doesn't have any children, but they have a family that, you know, 
they they cared about am i going to be okay if my spouse with no children who predeceases me um you know wants assets to go to their family to their nieces or nephews or you know whomever am i going to be okay independent independently financially you know without that um spouse's income or assets or resources um so you want to know what the expectations are and what the assumptions are and talk it through ahead of time. And I will mention later when I talk about the elements of financial planning, in those kinds of circumstances, to the extent one would qualify, you know, and be uh, eligible for life insurance, life insurance could be a great answer to um, a number of these situations. You could have life insurance go to maybe you know, the children, life insurance could go to the siblings instead of my assets. If you can um, qualify for life insurance and afford the life insurance and, you know, whether it's term insurance or some kind of whole life insurance, that could be one of those areas where you could uh, protect some kind of assets for heirs. Um, You might have partners who both previously married or not with children from prior relationships, is there a parent still in the picture from the prior relationship? So is the the other parent of the children still in the picture? Are they still helping with support? Are they helping with college education? Um, What is that going to look like? Who gets to claim the child? That's going to be a tax... uh, question as I as I go through the show and talk about those other elements but you kind of want to understand what are my obligations if I marry this person and we have a child a stepchild who needs to go to college is there another parent who's in the picture to be able to help and what is the agreement because you can also have an ex-spouse who says oh yeah I'll help pay for college but if it's not written down anywhere there may not be that Um, obligation, a legal obligation for them to pay for college. Again, it might depend on what state you're in, but um, just, you know, you got to write this stuff down. You got to think it through. It makes a a real difference if you're in front of it. Folks, we're at the halfway point. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including estate planning and tax preparation, especially for Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents subject to state inheritance tax reporting. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Welcome back, folks. If you have questions, phone number is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with me or off air. Or questions could be submitted through yourfinancialchoices.com and I'll email you back. Uh, Talking about financial considerations for blended families. Um, Another note when we talked about the various kinds of blended families, remember I said we could also have a situation where two partners come in with children from prior relationships but then have a child together. This also can get a little tricky because you might have, let's say uh, the husband has children who are... 30, 33, wife has kids who are, you know, 27, no, I'll say 25 and 24. And she's a younger wife. And now she's still able to have children, you get married, and now you have another child. And now you have a two year old. (laughs) So you have children who are kind of launched. 
um, into adulthood, into their 30s, probably with careers, etc. You may not think you have to worry about them. And then you have this little two-year-old running around home. And your spouse may not work because they could be staying home taking care of the child or whatever it might be. There's going to be a, a longer runway there for cash needs um, in the event something happens to you. Uh, there could also be the children from the other spouse, you know, as I mentioned, maybe in their early 20s, they could still be in college, they could still need to be launched, they still may live at home, lots of considerations there. But then we have this little two year old. So at some point, I have seen um, situations where the, uh, what do I want to say, the the thought might be my older kids who are launched aren't going to need anything from me. I have to make sure I provide for my surviving spouse and this little two-year-old. So that could really kind of change the whole dynamic of estate planning as well. Doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm just saying, is it a consideration? Is that an acceptable consideration? Will you ostracize your adult children who are launched if they find out about it? Does it matter? Do you care? You might not care. Um, that could also be another situation where life insurance could make a difference. Um, even with all of that, so we have to think about the relationships, the um, independent means, who do we really want to benefit, especially if one of the spouses has never had children. Um, Look at all of that and consider what the implications would be. But then we also have to think about now that we're going to come into this marriage, do we have the prenup or do we not? And I, I have to tell you, most times I do not see prenups. Um, if, if I'm working with someone, I'm going to tell them, go see your attorney and talk about whether or not you need a prenup. Um, how are you going to separate your assets, etc.? Because what you have to be careful of is the, the second part of the conversation is not just, you know, who are we benefiting here, but how do we um, see out the transition of of those assets and support that we may need? So we have to say, are we changing the beneficiary designations on retirement accounts? Are we commingling our assets? This commingling could be a whole nother problem, not just in making sure that, you know, children from, you know, a prior marriage are taken care of, but commingling could be a problem if we get divorced again. So if we've already been divorced once, we could have a certain, you know, acute fear that we could get divorced again. And, uh, you know, go into a relationship with some trepidation and may not want to commingle assets at all. Or we're just so head over heels with our, our new relationship that we just want to make them feel confident and secure in our love. And let's combine everything. Well, now that we've commingled all of our assets, depending on what state you live in, again, it could open the door in the event of a divorce that now your assets could be subject to, um, you know, division, separation, division, distribution to that spouse. And you may have inadvertently uh, cut your children out of an inheritance that they otherwise, you know, may have, you know, benefited from. So you want to be careful about asset titling, commingling assets. You know, if you make it joint, that's commingling. Uh, you can keep assets separate. I love the TOD designation, transfer on death designation that says, hey, 
hey, we stay married. It's in my name. But if, if I die, I've named my spouse a primary beneficiary and then everything's good. Or I can name more than my spouse on a TOD um, designation. I can name my spouse and maybe that adult child. And maybe my spouse could get 80% and my adult child could get 20% or 50-50 or whatever it might be. Lots and lots of options, but you have to know what you want and then explore those options with your uh, attorney and or, you know, financial advisor. So careful how assets are titled, careful who the beneficiaries are. Um, and one other part before I, I further talk about some of the estate planning is be careful too if you think you're inheriting from your parents. I never assume anyone is going to get an inheritance. Number one, remember I mentioned gray divorce. It could be gray marriage. You may not get the assets of your parent if they've remarried. That's one thing. Um, number two, your parents may be very suspicious of this new spouse of yours and may not um, give you the assets that you thought you were going to inherit. In fact, they might just want to skip you, worried that your assets will go to, you know, this new spouse and her children or his children and instead maybe by um, skip you and go to the grandchildren. So just be careful about that, that this uh, blended families can have very, you know, different layers. Um, all right. So now let me just talk a little bit about the um, estate planning. As I mentioned, make no assumptions about who's getting what and how they get it. Uh, spouses don't always inherit everything. And even if you um, cut them out because you think you've had the conversation and you, your, your new spouse doesn't need any of the money, they're financially stable, independent, they still could elect against the will. You'll be gone, so you won't know they do it. But they could elect against the will. That would just be the probate assets, but there could be some other assets brought in. You have to understand what those are. Um, know your state rules, careful on the commingling, careful on trusts because a spouse may be able to elect against a revocable trust, meaning a living trust, something I, I still have the right to grab from, uh, from what I've read, Pennsylvania, check it out with an attorney, but, um, just make sure that you're doing, um, the proper, um, assessment of those assets, the asset titling, beneficiary designations, wills, and if you are going to do a trust, Make sure that that trust is either, you know, has a provision that says, you know, per an agreement, we've already had a prenup, um, my spouse isn't going to elect against this trust, blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay, so that's kind of a little bit of the uh, estate planning, but it does require, in my opinion, the most immediate attention in the event you're thinking about um, becoming a blended family and make sure that you review everything before and then that you follow the instructions the attorney and or financial advisor gives you to make sure it's all coordinated. Now let's talk about um, some of those elements that also are implicated that require conversation as well. Cash flow. This is a really big thing I, I've seen. You want to make sure that you understand um, how you're dividing up the expenses before you embark on this new relationship. It could be that you're both working, you both make same amount of money and you decide you're just going to split the expenses. So you put, you know, $10,000 each into the bank account every month and you pay your joint expenses out of that. That could work really well. Uh, 
you could say, I'm going to sell my house, you're going to sell your house, we're going to buy a new house together, and you're starting this new relationship, and that could be a joint house. That way, in the event one of you passes away, the other spouse isn't, the surviving spouse isn't kicked out by the children, either set, and um, it's kind of what you've done together, just as you would have, you know, when you got married, you know, in your 20s or 30s. This could be when you're, you know, in your 40s, 50s, or 60s. So embarking on this new relationship, kind of who's putting in what and and how. Um, so cash flow, how are you dividing the expenses? If there are minor children or college-age children, who's paying for the college? Is that, um, that going to be the the dependent the parent of or the step parent if that child is a dependent of them meaning the um the the other parent of the children who are not in the home with you are they going to help contribute to the college um expense the reason i may mention that particularly is because it's such a big expense or can be such a big expense that is really worth a conversation uh before you get married who's going to pay are you going to have to fight for the person it may not be a legal obligation uh sometimes i think that may or may not be written into um you know separation uh documents so you you want to make sure who's going to be responsible for that and if it's going to be you and it's not your child you know are you okay with that and you can be totally okay with it i'm totally fine with whatever anybody does i just want you to figure it out so you're not fighting later um be proactive uh is there if you're marrying into maybe someone has been widowed there may be implications where they may have like a survivor's pension, um, social security. There's all kinds of different rules around social security, which could impact your cash flow, but could also impact um, one's decisions, uh, depending on how long you were married, when you got married, were you already collecting social security, who are you going to collect on, um, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of make sure you're, you're thinking that through. So cash flow, who's putting the money in, how are you allocating expenses? Uh, is one a real spender and the other one's a real saver? So, so be aware of that going in. Taxes, who's claiming the children? If, if you're marrying someone and they may have given away what we call the exemption, which doesn't technically, we don't have exemptions anymore, but we do have dependent credits, uh, t- child tax credits, which may be, um, you know, significant for some people. Is that going to the former spouse? You maybe let the former spouse take it, depending on your income. Uh, kind of understand and support your spouse uh, who may be in those kinds of discussions or arguments with their um, the children's parents. Um, how are you splitting taxes? So income taxes. I've had situations where uh, I had a couple, they were both attorneys, neither had children in this circumstance, but they made different amounts of money. And every year we would prepare their married filing joint return with also... Um, a report of what their income and taxes would have been had they filed separately so that we could allocate or prorate their responsible share of taxes. The same thing could apply here. You might have one spouse who, you know, makes $300,000 and another spouse who makes $100,000. This is a second marriage and 
you know, maybe you want it to be fair because the $100,000 earner would not ordinarily have as high of an income tax rate on their money as someone who's making $300,000 in my little extreme example. So how are you allocating the taxes? It all depends on how much withholdings one has. The person making $100,000 might withhold $5,000 and the person making $300,000 might withhold a hundred thousand dollars. So you, it's not just the tax consequence. It's also, you know, who paid in what, and do you need to prorate that? Are we going to get down to that nitty gritty? Is that too much detail for you? But these are the little things that people end up arguing over. And um, I just try to avoid the arguments at all costs. So let's think about it ahead of time. Retirement planning, there could be a big difference in ages. So one might, um, need to make sure that, you know, I have enough money for my retirement, but I shouldn't blow through all of my money if my spouse is 15 years younger than me, because they're going to live way longer than I might. So you want to think about retirement planning. What does that look like if there's a big difference in in ages and um, also social security benefits and pension benefits. If you marry someone and they have a pension and that sounds really good and then you find out they choose the single life option and there's nothing left for you as a surviving spouse, that could be a problem. Or their pension might have been split already in a prior divorce um, and the pension might not be as attractive as, as you might have thought and and what is their option in election. So we'll talk more about the implications on some of these elements of um, the financial planning as to blended families. If you have questions, there's still time. The phone number is 610-758-8810. You can also send questions through the website at yourfinancialchoices.com. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services including portfolio management, tax return preparation, and financial planning for the accumulation years, retirement years, and estate distribution. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. American folk music offers a variegated pattern of performers and styles. I'm Tom Druckenmiller, your host for In the Tradition. Together we'll trace the roots and branches of American folk music from the earliest recordings and performers through today's talented players. In the Tradition, Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on WDIY 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY, also available on the WDIY app and at WDIY.org, where prior shows are available as well as podcasts, and that is under public affairs, and also available at yourfinancialchoices.com. If you have questions, phone number is 610-758-8810. We are talking about financial considerations and blended families tonight. Um, and when we talk about blending, it, it is not just the implications of estate planning, which I say are the priority, um, especially in developing um, the, what your real desires are to benefit, you know, future heirs and or family members or charities or whatever it might be. Um, it's it's also factoring in some of the elements of financial planning, as I mentioned, cash flow, how are you going to split expenses? Who's going to be responsible for paying what? Who's going to buy the cars? Some of these big expenses. I want to go back for a moment um, about the house. I had said, 
you may both decide to each sell your home and then buy a joint home and then you're both owning it. I've seen circumstances where one spouse owns the home, they remarry, one person owns the home, they remarry, typically this is like in a widowed situation, they remarry and they keep the house in their name alone. If you sell the house during lifetime, there is something called a principal residence exclusion. You can exclude if you're married and you've both owned and lived in the home two out of five years. You can exclude up to $500,000 of gain. Quite often we're seeing people maybe um, downsizing in their later years or moving into assisted living or, you know, um, continuing care kind of retirement communities. So they may want to sell their home before they die, meaning there's no step up in basis. It's whatever your original cost basis is and the fair market value on the day you sell. And that $500,000 exclusion is like a fantastic thing. Well, you heard me say you have to own and live it, live in it two out of five years. And that exclusion I said was 500,000 married filing joint. That's because it's actually $250,000 each. If you don't own the home, so you marry someone, they own the home and you think you're totally fine with that. Good deal. Um, they own the home. And they, well, if they pass away, I guess it doesn't matter because there's a step up in basis and then you just get kicked out of the house. But if you sell it while they're, you're both alive, then that exclusion is only 250000 because only one of you lives there. So you want to think about the asset titling. Remember I said you have to be careful of commingling as well. So that story where one, where you each sell and then buy a joint house, that kind of works out fairly, you know, that could work out fairly well. Um, so just be aware of that. You may not get that full exclusion you thought you were going to get if you were in a highly appreciated um region for a home if you're married to someone just because you're married doesn't mean you get 500,000 you have to actually own and live in it two out of the five years and if you're a second spouse you may not own it so watch out for that um investments can also be something that you need to have some conversation about. If you both have, you know, a $500,000 portfolio and you say, you know, we're going to come, mine is mine, yours is yours. And all of a sudden, you know, one, you know, has very aggressive investments or great returns and the other one has 500000 in cash, then those assets are certainly going to grow at different rates and they're going to have different income tax uh, implications. So you have to, you know, consider that as well. Like, are you going to continue to allocate uh, things 50-50 or if one party's uh, portfolio grows significantly and the other one's kind of stays stagnant, are you going to hold that against them? Or are you going to you know, um, is, is that going to be a problem? Because one's estate might grow more than the others, depending on how you're dispersing the assets, you know, in the end, your final distribution or estate planning, as I mentioned. Um, and also careful on the commingling, as I, as I said, commingling in the event there could be a, a second divorce, which is a big fear for a lot of people. Um, or, um, or if you wanted to identify certain assets for certain heirs, and you may have covered that in, you know, a prenup or not. And then the other big 
element that I think of the financial planning that can really make a big difference in blended families is the use of life insurance. Now, I, you know, there's a, usually, you know, we think about a need for life insurance. And one can have a need for life insurance when you're young and you have a mortgage, you're raising a family, you have to do some income replacement, you want to make sure there's enough money to put your children through college. So there, there is a period of time in your life where there could be a real need for life insurance, you're putting that risk of something happening to you onto the insurance company, you pay a monthly premium or whatever it might be for this life insurance in the event, um, you know, you have a, an early passing. But life insurance can be a great um, tool in making sure that in your blended family that you're providing for that surviving spouse and or maybe those stepchildren as well. Um, you, you are embarking on a, you know, a, a new relationship, serious relationship. Everybody loves everybody and you want to make sure that they're taken care of, but maybe you don't want to kind of cut your own children out. If you're, you're, as I mentioned earlier, you have adult children who've already launched and you want to make sure that they have something as well. You can do that a number of ways. It could be that they're the beneficiaries on, you know, in, um, retirement accounts, your Roth IRA accounts, um, a particular brokerage account, you could kind of work through that. Uh, but life insurance could also be an option um, to do that at kind of a low cost, typically, if you, you know, qualify and you're fairly healthy and all of that. So it's certainly something that you would want to um, look at and consider. Uh, risk protection, we call that, that's that element, risk protection, make sure that you have um, things covered that way. Um, when you're doing, going back to estate planning for a moment, if you are doing anything with the, you know, with the will and kind of divvying things up across, you know, the various family relationships, you, you may be able to also consider who are going to be your personal representatives in, you know, helping through that process. So if you have a, a new spouse, a second spouse, you could name, if you have adult children, they could be a co-executor with the surviving spouse. Quite often what we see with wills are we, we name each other if we're married. Um, we name each other and then um, it could be a sibling as a co-executor or a backup executor, uh, or it could be an adult child. Same thing applies with trust, um, healthcare, power of attorney. You could always name you know, one of the adult children as well to kind of be involved with that and to protect the, or to help protect or oversee any of the uh, disposition provisions, whether it's through the will or a trust. Um, typically, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, retirement accounts, there's a named beneficiary and that can go through quite simply directly with the custodian usually uh, and a, a death certificate. Now, again, in certain states where there may be an inheritance tax or an estate tax, uh, if there isn't uh, an estate to pay those taxes, then the taxes may have to come from the asset itself. But, um, you know, there should still be some kind of oversight on that. So I, I 
I hope that this kind of helps some people. I, I do know I have a few more minutes here uh, before the end, so I just want to make sure that I recap kind of the uh, the big takeaways for me is uh, if you're um, going to become a blended family, um, whether you're single with no children, marrying into one, if you're um, both have had prior relationships with children and are coming into a new relationship, or both have a children from prior relations with the intention that you will have children together. It's all very important to have these conversations, to talk about it. No one should feel hurt um, or defensive or um, criticized. It, it's important to have these kinds of conversations. It's the financial issues that quite often creep into relationships and, and cause problems anyway. So it's better to have those ahead of time and make sure that you can have those kind of financial considerations when you're going into a relationship. So uh, do you need uh, have the conversation? What are the expectations? What are the assumptions? Um, is everyone providing full disclosure, meaning I'm not going to tell him about this account I have over here. I'm not going to tell her about that account I have over there. So you want full disclosure and then meet with an attorney, uh, your financial advisor, your insurance agent, kind of follow the threads through, see what um, hiccups you might run into and um, be on the forefront of that so that you can, you know, mitigate any future problems. Um, understand what happens if you commingle the assets. Um, what does that mean to commingle the assets? Are you putting things in a joint account? Maybe um, what I had suggested to my friend is that um, if she embarks on this new relationship, that they could uh, open up a joint account and let's say throw $50,000 each into this joint account and that could start their their joint um, kind of relationship going forward. Um, they both have independent means, but you still don't want to have to always say, you give me $10, I'll give you $10 or $100. And it could get a little picky. So you want to anticipate that as well. Do you really want to be, um, you know, having those kinds of conversations where you could just have a joint credit card, joint bank account, and you both put in some, you know, reasonable amount of money each and then you're not having to kind of pick at each other about who's spending what or doing what. So that could be, you know, one way to handle it. Um, as well as with homes. If you each have a home, do you both sell? In fact, we had Stan Reinford on here uh, recently uh, talking about mortgages, and he had a situation where each spouse, uh, they wanted to, it was a new marriage for them, and they both had separate residences, and they wanted to buy a house together, and wanted to buy the house together before the either of them sold their individual homes. And that ended up kind of causing some confusion and issues. So again, being in front of that, they could have, um, you know, sidestepped some of the problems that they ran into at the last minute when they were trying to buy this home, uh, thinking it through. All right. Well, I hope the conversation helped this evening, helped some of you think about it. I think it's a really, really, um, we see it more and more. And I, 
I'm not always sure that everyone is doing the planning and reflection ahead of time. I have some clients that do a great job of this and I love it and um, it, it works out very well. And I think it all starts with the open communication. So I hope that uh, I help some people think about that and they can always listen to the podcast of the prior show as well. Next week, I am having Bill Henderson uh, from Valley National Financial Advisors. He's our chief investment officer. And we're going to do a review of the 2023 markets, kind of like what we saw and uh, looking forward to 2024 and what to expect and what kind of observation Bill has about the prior year and what he can expect for the future. And uh, so we look forward to having Bill on the show next week. Coming up next, we have Tom Druckenmiller with In the Tradition Folk Music. Remember, pay attention, be proactive, not reactive. Thank you, Greg, so much for manning the phones. Thank you, Peter, for being here tonight. Make the best of your financial choices. Have a great week.